Welcome to the River of Life Church podcast, your home for weekly messages that will equip you in your spiritual growth. Thank you from everyone here at ROLC and enjoy the sermon. I love Christmas. I love celebrating the birth of our Savior. It's when God's plan was set in motion on earth. It was already in motion in the heavenly realm. But when Jesus was born in that Bethlehem stable, the plan of salvation then took the breath of life and was set in motion on this earth. So over the next three weeks, I'm going to be speaking on the epic Christmas story. That's the title of this three-week series. What am I emphasizing? God's plan, right? Because God always has a plan. Somebody say amen. Amen. God's promise, this was no surprise. God through, through millenniums had promised that a Messiah would come. We're going to examine next week God's promise. And then God's purpose. What was the purpose behind Messiah coming? It's imperative. We're going, if we're going to access and enjoy all of the benefits, all of the blessings that come with our salvation, then we need to understand the plan of God, the promise of God, and the purpose of God when it comes to Messiah. So as we consider the Christmas story, first thing you need to know is Jesus' coming was not God's backup plan. Some people feel like, well, plan A failed in the garden. Adam and Eve disobeyed. So God then instituted plan B to bail Adam and Eve and the human race out of this great debacle. That's not the case. God never instituted a plan B. It was always His intent. He knew what would be before it was, and He planned accordingly, allowing the free will, the choice of mankind, but at the same time, considering that, planning for that, so that His purposes and His ways could be established, not only on earth, but for eternity. Amen? Amen. So with this in mind, we're going to focus on today, the first week of this series, the epic plan. How many of you believe that God is omnipotent, all-powerful? He's omnipresent, all places, and He's omniscient, all-knowing. So that means if He's all-powerful, all-places, and all-knowing, He's never taken by surprise. In fact, Scripture says God doesn't even blink. Think about that. That means His eyes never shut. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. That means His eyes are never closed. God is aware not only in the immediate, but over all things because He's all places. He knows what will be, what is, as well as what was. So knowing all of this, you need to ask the question, how could God not have seen this coming when it comes to the fall? How come He didn't take steps to prevent the fall, this catastrophic catastrophic event, that would wind up rippling through and impacting the world, all of creation, not only at that immediate moment, but even in the generations to come, how come God didn't do something to stop this from happening if He's omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient? Then we could have escaped all of the pain, all of the sorrow, all of the wars, all of the disease, the sickness, the pestilence, All of these ramifications that followed the fall, maybe not immediately at that moment, but through time as sin 
as a seed began to grow and escalate and, and take on more effect and, 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 and cause more disaster, more calamity, more pain, more sorrow, God being who he is, knowing this was coming, why didn't he take steps to stop this catastrophic event? Well, in answer to that, let's turn in our Bibles and look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 10. And again, I can't emphasize enough, bring your Bibles to church. Amen? That's like going to baseball practice without your glove or your bat, or going to the football camp you know, without your helmet. My goodness, you'll wind up having some you know, possible concussion, other types of, of injury. So come to church with your Bibles. This is your practice run so that you can go out onto the streets and make a difference for Jesus. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. This is, takes part, this is being said during the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Then as you go down to verse 10, Jesus prays this prayer. He's praying this, but he's also teaching his followers to pray this as well. That means it's applicable for our lives. Matthew 6.10 reads, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And some of you may have the question, what does this have to do with Christmas? It has everything to do with Christmas. Amen. Because Christmas was the answer to this prayer. And so to have greater clarity, let's begin first by looking at the dream. Everyone has a dream. How many of you have a dream? Everyone has a dream in life. For some, it begins at childhood. For others, it unfolds over time. A dream can be long-term. It can also be short-term. For some, it's that dream job, right? That dream vacation, that dream house, or that girl or guy of your dreams. Or even the dream of building. A family. Do you know just as you all have dreams, those of you worshiping online have dreams, do you know God has a dream as well? God desired, when you look at creation, how it all began. When God created the heavens and the earth and then all of the living things that were placed upon the earth and finally, when God created man and then woman from the rib of Adam. God's dream was to have a family. Look at Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us, plural, who's he speaking to? We're above, God is above the angels, so he's not speaking to the angelic host. Then God said, let us, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, make man in our image according to our likeness. When mankind was created, Male and female, he created them. We were, as human species, above all other created beings, animal, plant life, everything, we were created in the image of God, making humanity God's spiritual offspring. Remember when Jesus spoke to the woman at the well, and, and there was this theological discussion, and she was even trying to rebuke or correct Jesus at certain points, and then instruct him as to, what really was truth. Jesus said to, said to the woman, he said, God is spirit, not a spirit, but spirit. 
And those that worship him must worship in spirit, little s, and truth. See, Jesus was referencing that aspect that only human beings were given above all other creation. We are body, we are soul, but what separates us from all other creation is we're spirit beings as well. Think of it this way. We're spirit beings that live in a physical body and communicate through the natural resources of the mind. So when we were created in God's image, God is spirit, and we were created with a spirit, the human spirit, so that we could fellowship, have relationship. And because we're spirit beings, we could become God's spiritual offspring. His sons and his daughters. God passed on his likeness so man could take on his name and become, here's the word, family. God created mankind because he wanted a family. Sons and daughters, spiritual offspring. And that's what sets mankind apart, again, from all other creation. We, we were created, think of it this way, we were created like God so we can enjoy relationship with God. You've heard me say this before. You may come home, you'll never see, you know, your pets, your dogs, your cats, other pets in the house with the TV on watching TBN with their paws lifted towards heaven. Why? They're not spiritual beings. They don't have that ability to communicate and worship and have relationship with God. God loves them. Scripture says not one sparrow falls from the sky without God knowing. So he is aware and he cares and he loves his creation. But mankind is different. That's why even when you look at the aspect and the debate centered around abortion, Every time a child is aborted, the image of God is being aborted. A son or a daughter that God has blessed, maybe not through desired circumstances, I get that. But still, a human being is the image of God. Amen. That's important to understand because it's not a political debate. It is a spiritual issue. And so when God gave man this dynamic, this dimension. It's family. Like Pastor Jordan with, with Molly and now their most recent child, Elijah. They have a desire as a husband and wife, as a couple, to have a family. And the Lord has blessed them with two children. That is, you can draw the analogy of how God is when he desires family. That's why we have a desire for family. Because we're just desiring what God desires because we're created by God. And, and so that DNA is passed on to us as human beings to desire the same things that God does. But when we leave God out of the equation, people try to fulfill those desires in ungodly ways. Ways that can bring greater pain, greater sorrow. But still, the desire for family is God-given. That's why people, if, if, if they begin to step into lifestyles that are not in agreement with the written Word of God, then what takes place? Those lifestyles try to create their own communities so that they feel that acceptance. Why? Because in their hearts, there is that natural conviction, conscience from the Holy Spirit. And really the frustration people feel when they're struggling through issues is not because society is rejecting individuals, but because it's a sin against their own hearts. And so there is that conviction that is God's love trying to draw people 
to his side, into relationship with him. Don't try and satisfy that cry for family outside of the boundaries of my word. Come to me and I will satisfy, I will bless, I will just reward you beyond your greatest expectations when you do things according to my ways, my plan, my word. God desired family. That's why, again, he said, let us make man in our image. We were created like God so we could enjoy relationship with God. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 10 again, our text. Again, Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done, where? On earth. Everybody say on earth. On earth, on earth as it is in heaven. Now, do you know the word for earth is also used to describe people, nations? We were created as human beings from what? The dirt of the earth. So when God was talking through Jesus about your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, it's not about soil composition and rocks and geology. It's about people. God wants to fulfill his will on earth through who? People. Those that were formed from the dirt of the earth. He wants to fulfill his will on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, he wants to bring heaven to us. He wants heaven to indwell us. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, Jesus came to earth and dwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. He took on human form. His existence didn't begin there. There is pre-incarnation Christ. That's all through Scripture. But then he took on the form of a human so that he could finish and fulfill this work of redemption for humanity so that humanity could then enjoy the benefits of restoration and then becoming what? The family, the sons, the daughters of Almighty God. Not only on earth, but throughout eternity. God's plans will never cease. There's more to ruling and reigning with Christ than just in the here and now. Through the millennial reign, Scripture says we will rule and reign as the church with Christ, the bride of Christ. But there are even creations yet to come. Do you think that every planet, every solar system that is out there throughout the galaxies is just there for decorations like on a Christmas tree? There are plans and purposes that will go throughout eternity. How long is eternity? It's forever. You focus on that long enough, you'll get brain freeze. That's a long time. God will not stop being who he is. He will not stop being God. He's not going to pass down the family business to the son. Well, you know, I'm about ready to reach the end of my ancient of days. And I'm going to pass this business on to you, Jesus. The three are inseparable, yet they're one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So God's plans and purposes will continue, and the Lord will have a bride, a church, a people, that at that time, once the plans and the purposes are fulfilled, when the dead in Christ raise, then we who are alive are caught up in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. That is when the work of salvation will be finished, will be finalized in us individually. 
And then what is true of Jesus will be true of us. It will be impossible once we step into the presence of God, either through death or when the rapture of the church takes place. It will be impossible for us as the church, the sons and daughters, the family of God, to ever fail, to ever sin, to ever fall. Something that Adam didn't possess. Something that Eve did not possess. Something that the angels do not possess. That's why Lucifer, who was the archangel over worship, and one-third of the angels that followed behind him were cast out of heaven. Why? Because created things break. Created things can fall. But once we step into eternity, then it will be impossible for his bride, his church, to ever have an extramarital relationship or to choose beyond righteousness and holiness why? Because when we see him face to face, isn't that what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13? We will be like him. And Jesus can never fail. And once that work of salvation, the glorification of our bodies is complete, it will be that way for us as well. See, this is all part of the plan. That's why God wasn't surprised by the fall. He allowed the fall. He knew the influence of free will. So he allowed, but yet it was all part of the journey to bring his family, his creation, that created and fashioned in his image to that place where one day, everybody say one day, it will be impossible to have an unfaithful bride. Impossible. Impossible. That is the wisdom of Almighty God. You see, God... Through the work that Jesus began when he took that first breath in that Bethlehem stable. God then set in motion so that now what we've enjoyed since the day of Pentecost as the church on. God could then put his spirit in the people, in, church, in the church, in the believers. So that his will could be done not only in us, but through us. Doing what? Sheep beget sheep. We're called to be a witness. We're called to bring people to Christ. You know, some people, they, they get saved and they just say, well, now I'm just going to enjoy the good life till I go into the presence of God. God wants us to enlarge the family. That's what we're called to do. And that's why His Spirit is placed in you. It's so His will can be done through you. However, it's amazing how one bad decision that happened in the garden produced the dilemma. It was the dilemma not for God, but for creation. See, it's imperative to understand whenever you choose the will of God, God's plan will never go unchallenged. Satan will always challenge the plan of God. Why? Because he's looking to usurp God's authority, looking to usurp God's throne, and make it his own. Satan wants to be the all-authoritative one. He wants to be Lord. He wants the throne of God. So anything that represents God, anything that rep reminds him of God, he is against. He wants to thwart the plans and purposes of Almighty God. And that's what happened in the Garden of Eden. Satan wanted to, remember John 10.10, 10, Jesus exposed the strategy of the devil. The thief comes not but to steal, kill, destroy. Well, Satan wanted to steal God's plan in the Garden. He wanted to kill God's dream. And he wanted to destroy God's family. That's the whole purpose and plan and strategy of the kingdom of darkness. And this is why the world is in such a mess today. When you leave God out, you'll never right the wrong. You'll never fix the mess. 
There'll never be restoration. Oh, there might be temporary fixes, as I brought out last week, but nothing that is long-lasting. Satan wants everything that belongs to God, especially God's family. He wants you. He wants me. He wants our sons, our daughters, our grandchildren. He wants every nation. That's why when you look at some of the world powers that want world dominance, you know, it's the spirit of Antichrist. It's what Satan wants. What will happen once the Antichrist is revealed after the rapture of the church? There'll be a one world order. That's what Satan wants. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So if it belongs to God, then Satan says, I want the earth and the fullness thereof. Thus, the motivation behind the things that he initiates not only corporately, but individually against God's creation. He wants to take dominance. But aren't you glad that God saw beyond the garden? Because he knows what was, he knows what is, and he knows what is to come or what will be. He saw beyond the garden. That's why his response to Adam and Eve, remember God would come down in the cool of the day and walk with Adam and Eve. Taking a walk with God, that's relationship. It's what the Lord wants. He wants relationship. He wants love. He wants family. And he would come down. And then one day, things were different. God came down. He was looking for Adam and Eve. But they were nowhere to be found, at least by a natural eye. He knew where they were. And so when God took and initiated a question and said, Adam and Eve, where are you? We're hiding. And then God said, have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat? He already knew the answer, but he was causing them to take responsibility for their sin. Finally, after the blame game was over, well, the woman you gave me caused me to do it. And Eve said, well, it was the serpent who caused me to do it. And nobody's taking responsibility. Listen, we are responsible not only for our successes and positive achievements, but we're also responsible for our failures ultimately. And that means even in the aspect of sin, we have to assume ownership because until we take responsibility, we can't be set free of it. Somebody say amen. amen. I could hear all of you shouting online, amen. And so here this takes place, and then God finally, because he saw what was coming, but he wanted Adam and Eve to know the ramifications, the rippling effect. He said, and the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? We've said that to our kids over the years. Do you know what you just did? Do you know what the potential is because of that choice, that action? We've all said that in one fashion or another. God knew, and when we as parents say that same phrase, we know what the possibilities, only with Adam and Eve it wasn't a possibility, it was a reality. God saw what was coming, but it was still, he, his plan from the beginning was still being fulfilled because he knew the path. In the weave and the direction that would take place in order to right the wrong. You see, God saw the price that would have to be paid to set things spiritually in order again. He saw what was necessary to restore his family. How many of you, if you have a son or a daughter, and they are going through a difficult time, do you abandon them or do you cover them with your prayers? Do you cover them with your support? Do you battle and fight and stand? Because why? It's your blood. It's your family. 
It's your son. It's your daughter. And God the Father, he saw us that way. He saw what was necessary to restore his family, his dream. Sacrificing his only son for many sons and many daughters. And the cross was the only way to provide my closing point, the deliverance. God always knew humanity would need a Savior. He wasn't surprised. In fact, he revealed this truth to Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18. God said, I will raise up for them, his people, a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. Do you know there's only two individuals recorded in Scripture that God spoke to face to face? It was Moses. It says God spoke to Moses differently from how he spoke to the prophets. Many of the prophets, the way God spoke to them, it would be through dreams and visions. Or a word of knowledge would come. But it says in Scripture, he spoke with Moses face to face as a friend speaks. And then when Jesus, when his time was come, Messiah graced this earth, God the Father spoke face to face with God the Son. Jesus was the fulfillment of this prophecy God gave Moses in Deuteronomy 18, 18. So you can say then Moses was actually a forerunner or he was a type of Christ. You'll see that as you look at Christology throughout Scripture, Moses was a type of Christ. Moses was a prophet, a priest, and didn't have the title of king, but he fulfilled that role, just as Jesus was a prophet, priest, and king. Another individual who was a type of Christ was King David. That's why Jesus was born from the lineage of David. David was a prophet, a priest, and a king, a type of Christ. And now you have Jesus coming. John the Baptist was a forerunner. He declared this in John 1.29, that Jesus was indeed Messiah. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away what? The sin of the world. You see, the epic Christmas story is about Christ's birth, His life, His death, His resurrection, and His ascension. That's the whole story. Jesus was born to die so that all could live. That's why, isn't it amazing the very last gift that was given to Christ at the stable when the three kings and wise men came was myrrh prophesying his death. God was showing one would die so that all could live. So if you look at our text again, Matthew 6.10, Jesus, again, in the Lord's Prayer, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. Do you know that God's kingdom descended from heaven to earth 2,000 years ago in that Bethlehem stable? That's when it was actually then manifested so that all could see and would be able to see beyond. For 33 and one half years, God's kingdom resided in, this is important, one man. For 33 and one half years, God's kingdom resided in the form of the Holy Spirit and one man, Jesus. Never in biblical history, the Torah doesn't record it, and up to that point in the New Testament where Christ's birth is initiated on earth, 
No one was ever indwelt with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God was with them, but not in them. But when the angels declared to the shepherds, keeping watch over their flocks by night, Emmanuel, he was saying, God's with us. How? In the form of a son, a babe, a child, who is God, but yet still fully man. God with us. Then for three and one half years, God's kingdom collided with the kingdom of darkness through one man. There were those that rallied beside him and served with him. But still, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, was only residing in one man during that three and one half years of ministry. But then, because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, the door was then open for God's kingdom not to reside in one man, but the door was open so the Holy Spirit could reside in all men if they say yes. Think of it this way. In order for God's kingdom to reside in broken men, an unbroken man would have to die on their behalf. I'm going to say that again. In order for God's kingdom to reside in broken men, that's us, an unbroken man, Jesus, would have to die on their behalf. This is what God was saying in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, considered and referred to as the suffering Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement, the correction, for our peace, he took on himself what he did not need, but we did. Our chastisement, the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are, present tense, healed. Body, soul, spirit, the whole man. Hallelujah. The cross was always God's plan. That's why we see it prophesied here in Isaiah chapter 53. Man could not, and he cannot, save himself. I think that's obvious. We see story and example after example that illustrate this throughout history. So what am I saying? God prepared for the fall and provided for the fallen by allowing his son to take the fall on man's behalf. Do you like that? Holy Spirit gave that to me last night, and I had to add it in. God prepared for the fall. And provide it for the fallen by allowing his son to take the fall on man's behalf. Do you feel like your life is insignificant? So many times when, when we look at those around us, when we see everything that's transpiring, the good as well as the evil, we feel like I'm so insignificant. You know, what difference could I make? Listen, every son, every daughter matters. Every child in your family, which one is your favorite? We love our children equally. Some may choose to be closer to us than others. But still, the love is equal. And Scripture is very clear. God has no favorites. So what is it, maybe, that is causing you to feel insignificant? Well, I'm here to tell you, you are a part of God's dream. You are. You are a part of God's dream. He knows the dilemma you're facing. And he has provided the deliverance you need. That's why for God so loved the world. 
He provided for the dilemma. He provided for what we needed, the deliverance. And guess what? You're a part of this world. Those of you watching online, if you see me, that means you still have the breath of life. You're a part of this world, and he has provided for you, for you, which means you are a part of God's plan. In closing, this is why we celebrate Christmas. But in order to celebrate, we first have to understand the whole scheme, the whole strategy that God set in motion even before this earth existed. Before the beginning, God had already orchestrated not plan E, B, not plan A and C, right? But there was only one plan. He had already prepared for what would be necessary to see his family become a reality. Hallelujah. This is why we celebrate. Christmas was set in motion. Hallelujah. In that Bethlehem stable. And it began with the epic plan. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you for your presence in this house. We thank you, Lord, for your dream. And Lord, we are a part of that dream because we are your image. And I pray, Heavenly Father, not only in this auditorium, but those watching online, if there's anyone that has not said yes to you, has not embraced the greatest gift they could ever embrace, the Christ child. If there's anyone that has never said yes to Jesus, and Father, I pray that through this message today, that as they saw in a brief moment your plan and your purposes, that Father, there was a revelation the light went off in their spirit and their soul, helping them to understand your ways and to know that they're not insignificant and nothing happens by chance. But Lord God, you're in control. And just as you had a plan for all of creation, you have a plan for their lives as well. They are not insignificant. They are key in the outflow the desire of God's heart. So I ask right now in Jesus' name, if there's anyone, anyone that has been on the fence regarding your son Jesus, or even wrestling with certain questions and confusion, not understanding why are these things happening to me and to others? Why does it seem the innocent seem to suffer? Lord, I pray that today there was sense made of the senseless from their perspective that they can see through your eyes of faith and trust in your omnipotence. Trust in your unfailing love and trust in your ability because you see the past, the present, and the future that you will direct their steps and that all things, not some, but all things will work together for their good because they love Jesus' name, I just pray a baptism of rhema over this house right now. Let them understand the epic Christmas story. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's all stand. 
Thanks for listening to the River of Life Church podcast. Subscribe and rate us right now on iTunes to be first to get access to new audio messages every week. Visit rolcdoylestown.org or like us on Facebook to always stay up to date on what's going on at ROLC. If you would like to support this ministry, visit the online giving page at our website. Join us next time for more from River of Life Church.